the music's on, the disco ball has dropped, and it's time to get this party started. You're listening to episode 12 of Disco Trek, a Star Trek Discovery After Party podcast here on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. I'm your host, Heather Barker, and with me at the turntable, as always, is my co-host, my favorite, Gorn, Jeff Hewlett. Jeff, how are you tonight? Wonderful, Heather. Thank you very much. My universal translator is working, in case any of you are wondering why I don't sound like a Gorn. Like, uh, I'm not very good at Gorn impressions. Um, Yeah. Here in the Discovery universe, they're just dead skeletons, you know, skeletons, so they don't talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lorca killed them, Um, I know. Which, by the way, speaking of Mirror Universe, I went back and watched Amir Darkly Part 1 and 2 from Enterprise, and that Gorn in quotation marks not did not have a tail. He did didn't? not. No. You sure? He did not look like a Gorn, but he did not have a tail. Interesting. He looked like a raptor to me. More like a, He a looked pretty terrible. Um, those yeah, episodes are kind of terrible. Sorry, CG anyway. artists, if you're watching, if you're listening to this. Yeah. No offense to you guys. You know, it's been a while. Great job. There have been many advances in CGI, but not a Gorn. Um, anyway. And good All job, right. Scott Bakula, <laughs> on yeah. wrestling a CG Gorn. Good job. Clap, clap. For those who aren't familiar with Disco Trek, we're a community-based Star Trek discotheque of sorts, focusing on each episode of Star Trek Discovery as they air. Tonight, we'll be discussing episode 12 of Vaulting Ambitions. With us to talk about the episode are two members of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook, which is the exclusive way to gain admission onto the show. Our first is brand new to the network. We've not talked to her before, but we are super excited to talk to her tonight. Welcome, Kathy Peck. How are you doing, Kathy? I'm great, Heather, and I am so excited to be here. This is my first time on your podcast, and I always listen to it with my husband. And uh, we think you're both wonderful. And so I'm really excited to do this. Oh, oh sorry. You. That was really sweet. Super, super sweet. <laughs> Thank you. And yes. I said, oh, yes. What's, what's your husband's name? Uh, his name is Ryan. Hi, Ryan, Ryan Peck. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Okay. Thanks for listening. Uh, yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we're so, so excited to have you. It's always great when we get new people, new friends. Um, that's a big part of why we do this show. So our second guest tonight, I think everybody knows, at least if you've listened to Shore Leave, um, but he was our primo, primo guest host on STLV 101 Part 1 back in May of 2017, Mr. Las Vegas, the wonderful John Krikorian. Hi, John. Thank you. How are you? I'm rocking in the free world, Heather. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. We love getting to talk to John. He's just one of the best guys ever. So we're super excited to see that you finally got a spot on the show. Um, I mean, we're getting close. We've only got three episodes after this. So I, I oh. know. And I've been traveling so much for work and I just couldn't do some of the recordings. I, I couldn't even put my name in because I was traveling and I couldn't rely on hotel Wi-Fi or anything like that. So I was just so glad I made it. So what a treat. So yeah. thanks for having me, guys. Well, we're glad to have you. We love when the stars align. And it works out because that happened last week with our guests where exactly. Marty yep. and Seth like both had that Monday night off. So it seems to work. Um, 
All right, so we're going to hop into our discussion of episode 12 in just a minute, but first we have some announcements to take care of. Um, as we mentioned, Disco Trek is community-focused and evolved from our desire to give fans in our convention community a way to talk about Discovery. So to enter for your chance to join us, because there's not many chances left, make sure you're a member of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook once you do that, we post every Tuesday with a Disco Trek image and information on the following week's recording time. Just comment on that post to be entered, and we'll use a random generator the following Saturday to pick two winners. Once you've been on the show, you cannot come back, but there are still ways to be part of the discussion. Jeff, why don't you take it from here and tell people how they can still participate? Absolutely. So there's a couple of ways that you can participate. And one of those is talking to us via social media. So you can respond to us on our threads in the unofficial Las Vegas convention group and with your comments about the episode. And we have a chance to read them on the air. You can also tweet us at, at disco underscore Trek with your feedback on the episodes. And we will read them here on the show. And if you feel like it, you can also call in and leave us a up to two minute voicemail at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I blanked on the numbers for a second there. But yeah, feel free to call us up and leave us a voicemail and we will play your voicemail live on the show. What I've learned from doing this podcast is that everyone hates using the phone. I know. I know. I don't get it. I mean, we do get some. We do get some. And, and by the way, tonight, and I, I didn't mention this, and I should have mentioned this in, in the previous uh, uh, comments there, but we also have tonight our first comment from a YouTube subscriber. Oh. Which we'll be reading at the end of the show. Yeah. So uh, God, that was I don't even exciting. know about that guy. <laughs> yeah. I just, it, he just came in. Just came in. News so. Oh, yeah. I hope it's a good one. Oh, it's very lengthy and it's very good. It was very okay. positive. A lot of good things to say. So we'll be reading at the end oh, of the show. YouTube can be really brutal. I know. I was going to save that till the end. And, and I think I've said this on a couple of our other Shore Leave podcasts, but some of the most horrible and brutal and trolly comments on our shows have come from the YouTube channel. Um, so it's, it's always a, a cringe for me when I see the little notification pop up that we have a YouTube comment. I'm like, oh, God. I don't know if I want to go look at this, but this one was wonderful. So looking forward to reading well, it. I'm looking forward to hearing it. So we also cannot do this show without the support of our Patreon members. Yes. So Jeff, do you want to tell people a little bit about our Patreon account? And I think we've got a new patron this we month. do. We have a brand new patron. And the only, the only name they gave is Sherry. Uh, no last name, but thank you. If you're listening to Disco Trek, we're not sure what show... Uh, you're listening to and subscribe because of, but hopefully you're listening to Disco Trek. But thank you very much for becoming a Patreon supporter. And of course, we do have a Patreon page, as we said. You can find it at patreon.com slash the tricorder transmissions, or you can visit our own website, the tricorder transmissions.com, and you'll see on the right hand side a big orange Patreon link that you can click on to take you to that page. If you enjoy what we do here on Disco Trek or any of our other Tricorder Transmissions Network shows, uh, please consider becoming a patron. We really, really appreciate it. And if you do, you'll get immediate instant access to our unedited episodes, uh, and they'll be available right after they are recorded. So you'll get early access 
to a lot of stuff that you would have to wait for if you weren't a supporter. And there's often a lot of bonus material. This particular episode, I think we had at least 10 minutes of before chat and we'll probably have a bit of after chat. So you'll get access to some exclusive stuff if you're a supporter. And we're currently working on a list of other rewards that we're going to be giving to our Patreon supporters. And uh, we're getting close to releasing those rewards. So uh, keep checking back and you'll hear more about that in the near future. Yeah. I think that pretty soon in a couple of weeks, we're going to open up a group Patreon yes. chat for Star Trek Discovery. We are. Um, we're just finalizing the details on that, but that will be open to, I think, all of our Patreon members. Um, so keep an eye out on your email box for when we get that figured out. Okay. Yes. All right. Black alert. Wait a minute. It's hot. Oh, wait. We have one more thing that we have to one announce before thing? we jump Uh-oh. in. Yes. Okay, my bad. Oh, my God. This is a, another historic moment for the Tricorder Transmissions. We have another new show coming oh, out right. in the month of February. Uh, two of our wonderful STLV family members, William Conlin and Marty Alley, are going to be doing a show called Reading Trek that's going to be launching here on the Tricorder Transmissions Network next month. It's going to be focusing on the Star Trek novels series and other books. And we're I'm really super excited because we don't have a show like this right now, and it fits in so well uh, with all of the other stuff that we have on our network. And we were really humbled and surprised when we were approached by William and Marty for this. And they've gone together and put together a really wonderful promo for the new show that we're going to play right now for you guys. And then we'll be back in a minute to uh, talk a little bit more about this. So here's the promo. Incoming transmission. Put down that remote. And pick up a paperback. Wow, is that a book? You do have books in the 24th century. Welcome to Reading Trek, a Star Trek book club podcast, part of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. We're your hosts, William Conlon and Marty Ali. Join us along with special guests as we explore the Star Trek expanded universe. I wasn't aware you indulged in the literature of fantasy. Light reading is considered relaxing, Captain. Each show, we'll be discussing a section from a Star Trek novel. We'll be featuring classic and contemporary Star Trek novels covering all eras. The question isn't where we are. It's when we are. Since we're a book club podcast, we encourage you to read along with us and join in on the conversation by following us on Twitter at Reading Trek. Post a comment on Facebook or check out which book we'll be highlighting next. Of course, you don't have to read along. We'll be summarizing each reading, so join in and learn all about the incredible stories that await in the expanded universe. You may even be selected to join us for a future podcast. Reading Trek, coming soon to the Tricorder Transmissions Network. I will leave you now to your book. That is all I ask. So, Heather, I am so excited. That promo was really awesome. It is. These guys impressed me so much. Um, Marty was a guest last week yes, for all was. of those um, who listened. So that's one of your voices. And then William was, what, like one of the first episodes we did for Disco Trek, right? He was. Yeah, he was. And he was one of our uh, bingo contest winners at yeah. STLV last year. So yeah, we yeah. got to meet him and get to know him a little bit there. And we're so, so excited that the two of them are going to be doing this show together. They're both fantastic guys. And this show is going to be amazing. I, I have a feeling I'm going to be riveted by this thing. You're going to have to read some books, Jeff. I Oh, my God. And where do I have time for this? <laughs> when do I have time for this? I'll make time. <laughs> well, I love to read. And I'm looking forward to being a guest on the show um, pretty soon. Yeah, so. you're going to be on one of the February episodes, right? Or two of them. 
Yep, I, we're going to talk about um, one of the new discovery books coming awesome. out. So yeah, I will I will leave that to William and Marty to tell you guys about it when it's time. But um, I, we've we've had a lot to share. So I, I want to talk about discovery. Yes, so let's, let's get into it. discovery. Um, but like I was saying, black alert. So keep in mind from this point forward, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't watched bolting ambitions, go and watch it, do it now. Um, come back and join us. So our show is a general discussion about the episode. We do have three segments. They are drop the record, which will be opening remarks and reactions to the episode, play a new track where we explore what we learned that's new about the Star Trek universe and spin it again is our look back at standout moments, scenes, characters, just about anything that you feel is worth a second glance. So let's get this party started for real. Let's go ahead and drop the record. Um, this episode, okay, I didn't, I didn't notice, guys, but this was like the shortest Star Trek episode in Star Trek history. I didn't notice that. So, either. in fifty-one years of Star Trek, this episode's runtime was something like forty-nine minutes, including the opener, um, the last, you know, last week on Star Trek Discovery, and all that jazz. I had no idea. I felt like. The pacing of this episode kept me interested, even though we learned a lot that we sort of already knew or had an idea about, mm -hmm. um, there were still surprises. And so I'm just going to tell you right now, I thought this episode was great. I had a lot of fun, but let's hear. <laughs> Kathy, what did you think about Vaulting Ambitions? I thought it was great. It was it was just a wonderful episode. And I also did not notice that it was shorter than the others. I mean, you know, like... After you watch it and then you read about it on social media and you go, oh, really? It was short? It did not seem like it. It really didn't. Um, I, I think the way it brought out, oh, go ahead and bring out spoilers like yeah, Lorca. Yeah, yeah, Lorca. We Finding out about him was great. Finding out like all the character relationships, the, uh, the relationships of like Burnham and Giorgio and then the relationship of Stamets and Colber. We got to examine that more. Um, it was just a great examination of the characters and how they played. I felt it was a very well done character driven episode. It was just wonderful. Awesome. So let me ask you, because since we don't know each other super well, like, are you very immersed in Star Trek fandom to where you knew about some of these theories, like the, that Lorca may be mirror. Uh, yes. Yes. No, no. I, yes, I read this all the time. So it was, you know, <laughs> So it wasn't really a surprise to find out, but I mean, it was kind of, I mean, yeah, it was hard to believe to me that like, oh, wow, some of the fans had it right on. And yeah. some of them have like all of, all of everything that's been going on on this series. A lot of people have guessed correctly, you know, the Vok mm -hmm. Tyler thing, the Vogue Tyler. I mean, yeah, people knew that. And I, and I was like, I'm, I mean, I'm not so sure, but then it turned out to be true. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's just always interesting to me to, to know, like, I, I'm at this point now where I kind of wish I didn't know all of these things. So I was watching it without even thinking about it. And like, what would I have caught on to? What wouldn't I have caught on to? Because I think we all knew that there was something going on with Lorca. Like, Lorca's not quite the captain we're used to. But at the same time, you know, Discovery is not quite the Star Trek that we're used to. I know if, it, if his character is different, you know, I mean, maybe that's just him. It, it yeah. doesn't have to be because he's from another universe. 
But in this case, well, it turned out. So It turned out that he was. John, what about a general reaction to the episode? Like, how did you feel about it overall? Uh, I absolutely loved the production of it. I loved the acting in it. I loved the sets, the costume. The sets especially were incredible. Um, the acting was spot on. Uh, the sound design was quite lovely. Um, I, I have some quibbles with a, a major reveal, which we've already talked about, which is the, the Lorca being from the mirror universe issue. I have some thoughts on that, which I might say for play a new track, uh, play a new track portion of the episode. But, uh, that I found was disappointing just to, to preview my thoughts on that. But Overall, what an amazing episode. And as I was watching it, I was well aware when it ended. I said, no, 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 no. This was way too soon. This should have gone on. <laughs> there should be another 20 minutes of this, uh, which I find. Oh, this is actually what I was going to say uh, earlier, which is that I find the idea that the show being written exactly as it was without any changes. I feel like it would have been so much better had it been released as a binge. Yeah, mm. because Discovery, it, it, I, I get what the writers are doing and I appreciate them and I love them, but I don't think the show can withstand the analysis mm -hmm. that it's getting by so many people week after week. Yep. So there's no there is no reveal that has come out in this show that hasn't already been posited and been well chewed over and been come to a consensus decision by the by, you know, not that there's such a thing as the fandom, mm. but it, it, it seems like there's just no reveal they can do that we haven't already figured out. Yeah. And, and I just think that if they had released it as a binge exactly as it was, that it would have been better. And I also want to say, I know that that's not a decision the writers make, but yeah. I, I just think that it would have been so much more powerful had it been released in that breathless way where it was like one episode right into the next and you didn't know what was coming because you didn't have time to really think about it. I'm going to call you out here on this show as a hacker <laughs> Because you hacked into my computer and you've read my notes verbatim, John. Uh, you just you you totally echoed everything that I had written in my notes for this one. So um, yeah, we're, we're we're pretty similar on that. I, I know you follow me on Twitter, Jeff, and I was t I, I wasn't arguing because I don't really argue on I social know, media. I, know, I was I, I was talking with someone on Twitter about this exact issue, and you know, so it's in my Twitter feed. But I, I really just felt that I, I felt kind of disappointed in a way. Because it's like, oh, we knew this already. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, I just wanted to be surprised or have a twist. And I, and I feel bad for the Star Trek writers, you know, bless them. I, I, I have so much respect and love for them, but I, I think that they're set up for an impossible task to try to reveal something that yeah. is, is we already have figured it all out. I think that it's a product of Star Trek fandom. And I, I honestly, I think that this is what this happens within any fandom as passionate and critical <laughs> As we are, um, it's just it's something that we're going to do. And whether they even attempted to estimate our ability to crack their code or not, um, it's just the way that that we are as a fandom. Um, and again, it's one of those reasons why I really enjoy at this point in time getting perspective from people who are not immersed in fandom the way that we are. Um, like my friend who I've introduced to the show and who I got to watch this episode with live who didn't see it coming. And I'm just like, oh, like I wish I was in your shoes because I want She might have enjoyed it a lot more, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like there was, and I have, I have kept every, like everything I know, I just don't mention it because I don't want to even suggest anything 
I just want him to be able to sit down and watch the entire series and have no idea and have this stuff revealed. And so like for him, it was like, what, 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 what? <laughs> but, um, but you know, there have been other theories that were wrong. I mean, you know, you, you know, they're, they're not right about everything. Uh, yeah. I read that Lorca is the emperor. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, so, you know, not all the theories turned out to be true, but, but yeah, it, it is terrible to, to, when you've already read something and then it turns out, oh, that's what happened on the episode. And then it's not a surprise anymore. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would have been better if you, if we could just watch it with no spoilers, if we just could binge watch it over a weekend that, as you said, that probably would have been better. Yes. I, yeah. I think for the overall experience of the series, it would have been more impacting maybe that way at the same time. Like I love, talking about Star Trek every week and dissecting it and listening to all the podcasts. And so like, I love the fact that, that we get to do it every week and that this is a constant conversation versus as we've said before, you know, we talk about it for a week and then it's over. And I would like to think that because of this format and CBS doesn't really release numbers, so we don't know what's going on. Um, I don't know if the show is still bringing in new viewers or not. But I would like to think that maybe like the conversation continuously happening around Discovery is bringing people into the show. Um, but again, I don't know. I like my my friend. He would never have watched this show if he didn't know me because he refused to pay for it. <laughs> so it's like again, we come back to that whole issue. Um, but I definitely, definitely agree with you, John. It's it's hard. Like looking back now at like some of our first episodes, like talking about Section 31 and black badges, it's like that's all irrelevant right now. I mean, maybe it's going to wrap around and reveal what that was. But in some respect, you know, it's all just speculation up to a point. Um, had we had it all in one big punch, probably would have been less easy to figure out everything along the way. Well, you hit on another thing, too. To the CBS All Access, that the way that it, it works now is that people are paying month after month for this service. And, you know, if you wanted to binge watch it, you could just pay one month and be done with it. Yep. Yep. So they're, they're you know, using this strategy to make more money is what it seems like. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And we'll see what ha I'm curious as to what happened. I mean, total tangent here, but certainly curious to see what happens with CBS All Access. Once the show is over, I'm going to cancel my subscription because mm -hmm. we've, we've, we haven't heard anything about these other Star Trek shows that were somewhat teased. There was a Nicholas Meyer Wrath of Khan rumor going around. Um, and that's obviously not in production. So like at this point, we're now 12 episodes in this started in September, right? And it's January, end of January. I still get buffering. <laughs> Like, I still can't watch a clean show from beginning to end. Yeah. And you know what, too? What I, And I don't understand why they can't fix this. Every week, the new episode is not at the front of the list. Mm -hmm. I always have to dig into the, the Star Trek Discovery uh, yep. you know, feed. And it's all usually all the way at the end. But every other show on CBS All Access, the newest episode is always right at the front. I, don't I get, get the that. same thing, Jeff. Yeah, it's like, oh, do, yeah, exactly. You clicked yes. on Star Trek Discovery. Do you want to watch the Vulcan Hello? No, yeah, for the exactly. 12th week in a row. 
I'm like, what the hell? But the, the newest episode of um, After Trek is always right at the front. I don't get it. Oh, and it's like, watch most recent episode, click. And then it's like, uh, you know, episode nine. And I was like, no, no, this is not. They got to get it together, man. <laughs> like, I, they're... I, I do just want to say that as as we record this, I, I happen to note that I did get a new version of the CBS All Access app today. I, I don't oh. know if there's been any changes there, but um, I, 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 I I certainly agree that that CBS All Access is barely fit for purpose. Mm-hmm. Barely. Yeah, it's like they threw it together. Yeah. One thing that's really weird is that I never have a problem Sunday night, but Monday morning. So, for example, this morning I was at the gym. I tried to watch it on CBS All Access. I got fatal error. Ha- huh. Just so I can never watch it on Mondays, but Sunday night works great. I don't understand. Wow. And yet every Sunday night. Oh, that night, is weird. It's like, but, but, but it's like, like okay. they, they want you to watch it Sunday night. And it's like, and, you know, intense stuff going, like these episodes are intense. And it's like, stop, 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 stop. And then I'm frustrated. But anyway, mm-hmm. we don't want to be too overly negative, but. When this all started, I was like, look, this is what they feel is best to do with Star Trek. Star Trek has always been used to promote things, whether it's TVs or networks. So, okay, I get it. And the, I pay the $9.99 for the, the no commercials. Um, but $5.99, $9.99, it's comparable to what's out there. So I was all on board, but I mean, at the end of the day, if there's no Star Trek, there's really no reason for me to watch it when I have Netflix. It's only so and much Star Big Trek. Bang Theory you can watch. Uh, yeah, no, I don't watch that. And <laughs> all of Star Trek, you know, all the series are on Netflix for now. and better, better quality. Yes, for now, better quality. We'll see what happens there. Um, but, you know, I that that's like a whole other two-hour discussion about <laughs> CBS yeah. All Access and the format of the show. Um, so, Jeff, I know that John kind of read your mind here, but um, what's your general reaction to this episode, aside from what John has already spoiled for us? Well, do they need to keep replaying the Culber neck snap every no. time now? Can no. we not have that in the previously on Star Trek Discovery? Just take that out. It wasn't just in the previously on. Yeah, it was in the episode. I know. I'm like, come on. So Stop that's, that. yeah, that's one of my small grievances. Uh, was I, I visit, like, I actually, I won't call it an outburst, but I think I, like, cursed and was like, again, and, like, turned my head and looked away in it. Exactly like had a, I, I had a visceral physical reaction because I'm tired Me of too. seeing it. And the funny thing is that you, you, you see it and you know it immediately when you see that, that where they cut that scene in and they give you a second or two before the next step, you're like, Oh, here we go again. You have enough time to recognize what you're seeing and turn your head away. Like, Oh God, I don't want to watch this again. But overall, uh, you know, another well executed episode. Um, some of the things that haven't been mentioned, I love that we got to see, a, both the compassionate and trusting Saru, along with the more assertive Saru. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, and, and back on the Culber the thing a little bit, I'm glad they kind of had a buffer episode between Culber's death and the incredible scene between Stamets and Culber in the mycelial network in this scene, which almost felt like an apology to me <laughs> for uh, taking Culber away from us. I'm like, it, it was such a sweet scene and so nice. I'm like, okay, I... I I felt like I had enough time to process and and not feel as angry about that death. And it kind of gave me some time to 
be ready for the scene that was in this episode that we're probably going to talk about a lot more uh, later on the show. But um, I, I was happy for that. But yeah, as John said before, I, I wish I could say that I didn't see all these reveals coming before this episode. Um, and I, I kind of attribute it to a different thing, though, than, than John did. I, I have purposely not been following a lot of discussion on social media about Discovery because I wanted to kind of go into these episodes as blind as I possibly could. But then again, here we've been doing Disco Trek and we've been having, you know, different people on every single episode. And I think we've discussed every one of these fan theories <laughs> mm -hmm. on our previous episodes. So for me, this was like a reveal checklist. I'm like, oh, yeah, Heather mentioned that a couple of episodes ago. Check mark. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, Lorca. Oh, I Seth, Seth uh, Walker talked about that in the last episode. Uh, mirror uh, mirror Lorca check mark but I think we talked about that in a couple episodes prior so it was like it's just these check mark check mark check mark things and I, I would love to have been your friend or some of the other Star Trek fans or or you know new Star Trek fans who are watching you know or just getting in the track by this via discovery and being able to be super surprised by all of these uh, reveals so I'm, I'm I'm hoping that in the the episodes that still are to come that there are some things that we have not yet theorized about uh, or come up with so i, I was going to say the, the one thing i didn't see coming was that there was a, a mad mad outer space love scene going on between burnham and Lorca. that uh, that was new i'm not i'm not i'm not expressing an opinion on it right now but i didn't see that coming i didn't see that coming i didn't see that we can talk about that because i do have comments about that um but one of the things I was also going to point out was um, that the Burnham, you know, revealed that she's from uh, the Prime Universe. Like, I didn't ever think these characters were going to tell the Mirror Universe characters that they're from an alternate reality. That did semi-surprise me, too, yeah. Yeah, I didn't quite expect that at all. So I feel like despite these very large secrets that we figured out... Um, there are still smaller things interspersed in the writing that, that surprise me um, and kind of catch me off guard. Uh, same thing with the Mirror Stamets. I mean, Mirror Stamets is essentially responsible for infecting this, the mycelial network and with what's going on there. So, and plus, like, I totally thought that, that our Stamets was experiencing Within the mycelial network, I thought he was seeing the palace and seeing Captain Tilly like in his own way. Like I thought, I thought that what they showed us in this episode of like him walking around in the forest, blah blah, was what he was doing. When in fact, he was just kind of in this weird coma, and it's Mira Stamets that is like reaching out to him, and that's how he's getting visions of Captain Tilly, and. And all of this. And then we find out that it's Mirror Stamets who has infected the network, which, I mean, frankly, like, this is, this could be what, what kills this story. Um, as, or let me say it a different way, but the, like, this is why we don't hear of Discovery ever again. Because, at, you know, at this point, this, the, the, the mycelial network is endangered. It's injured and it looks like it's going to die. Well, Mirror Stamets, you know, once he came out of the network and then he, you know, he got up and walked away and we don't know what he is going to do next. 
So that could be interesting because he might actually try to save it. We know that it's dying, but he might find a way to save it because he is using it to his advantage. So he wants it. So that is something, you know, it could be an interesting plot point later. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. It's true. I mean, we do know that he's using it for his advantage. So that definitely makes sense that he wouldn't want it to die. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And that's the, that's the thing. And at this point, most of the major plot points, like the Vogue, his Tyler, all that, like has been revealed. Like I'm, I don't think there's any other major fan theory aside from the, <laughs> the very old. This is section thirty-one, which I don't think was a section thirty-one anymore. Um, you know, I think everything has come to fruition. So these next three episodes are going to be tying up a lot of these loose ends. And I, frankly, like, I don't know what to expect. That's why we don't have a part in the show where it's like predict what's going to happen next week. Um, well, can, can, can I just yeah. say one, one mystery out there that I think is something that's on my mind is that Lorca being who he is from the mirror universe, as we record this, we don't know what his intentions are. Is, is he actually the mirror universe version of a good guy? Mm-hmm. Or is he actually just a just a typical Terran Empire type fellow? And is he trying to take over the Empire for himself because, you know, because crazy Terran Empire reasons? Or is it actually he wants to be a, a liberator or, or or something else? So we don't actually know what his intentions are in the Mirror Universe as Mirror Universe Lorca. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's interesting. And so um, one of the one of the things that I did hang my hat on to say I I, I enjoyed some of the episode was was that part was to say, okay, I want to know more about what this guy is up to, and I don't really know what him and Mira Burnham were really up to. Did they just want to depose uh, evil Giorgio, or or d- for for their own purposes, or did they actually want to cause a change? And maybe Lorca has even changed in that because of what he experienced in in our universe. So um, I, I take that as a as a positive thing um, to think about for for where these episodes might go. N- no answers, but certainly an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just questions. I don't even, I don't want to speculate anymore. (laughs) Like I'm done with that. I just want to be there for the ride because there's so much that we have to tie up. I mean, we've only just met this mirror Stamets. So we have a whole adventure of what exactly is going to happen between the two of them because, you know, Culber, who I don't quite understand what Colbert is in this mycelial network. Colbert is, you know, warning him that, you know, no, that guy is dangerous. Like that guy's the one that's responsible for all this. You need to step up and, and take care of this. Um, there's that, there is Laurel, like there's a whole, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about all this as we get further into the episode, but like what Laurel didn't even want to help Boke. Like she was finally coerced into helping him. And frankly, I'm still confused as to whether Ash is Ash or Ash is Voke or Ash is still Ash and Voke. I mean, I guess technically, physically, he's Voke that looks like Ash, right? But it seems like a lot of people understood what happened in the episode as Voke being dead because of Laurel's you know, whale, like, you know, the Klingon death cry and the touching tribute of scenes between the two of them. But at the same time, I find that difficult to believe that we'd already have the death of a character that we barely even saw that was such an 
you know, integral part of. Yeah, I agree. The show and fan theory. If, so there's if, lots. Yeah. If, if, if I understood it and I had to watch the episode three times, it, it, if, if I understood what I saw and I'm open to being corrected on this, but it seems that that physical body is Vogue's body that was transformed yes. into a human. Correct. And, yes. and then Vogue's uh, personality was it deposited into it in some way and, and along with Tyler's. And, you know, it's an open question as to whether or not uh, Laurel is just being crafty, uh, House of Mokai, and uh, just pretending that she's killing Vogue or, or still playing some other longer game. We don't know. I mean, I think that's an open question. Yeah, again, you know, that's that's the point. It's like, we don't know. Um, there's still so much for us to find out. And so, like, there are still surprises to be had, I think, despite, despite the fact that a lot of these major plot points have been predictable for us as fans. I think there's still there's still been surprises and there's still potential for them to surprise us. Um, and I think this just kind of plays into, you know, these are, these are, it's a new show and new writers and they're, I mean, you know, not new to writing, but new to Star Trek, new to writing for Star Trek. Um, and so everyone's getting their bearings. And as we all know, like we had a showrunner and that showrunner disappeared, you know, got fired. Um, and so things changed in development there. So I think we're just still getting our sea legs partly. Oh, well, yeah, it seems to me like it, but it is coming together now. I mean, more than it was in the beginning, you know, when the, when the season first started, we didn't know what was going on. And we thought, you know, like, well, what is this with, with the tardigrade? And what is this with, like, with Rika Sharma that we saw in the preview? She's coming back now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was, it was very interesting, like, with Boke and Tyler, they, they did say that, that they could tell that the bones had been made smaller. So that does imply that it, he probably was a bigger Klingon Boke and got reduced to the human size of Tyler. And since they said that they, you know, that the doctor in sickbay said that she could tell that it, the body was identified as, as um, Lieutenant Ash Tyler. Yeah, that's the weird So part, they, right? they could have used the real Tyler's skin and fingerprints and just oh, overlaid yeah. those and evoke and, and his memories. Yeah. I definitely think that the real Ash Tyler is, is bye-bye. Um, you know, did uh, did you did any of you read the theory? Just I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry, but there was a, a very brief theory I saw posited online, and I and I haven't checked it. But if you go back to the Choose Your Pain episode, it it looks like that the first guy, the first Starfleet officer that the Klingons drag out of that room, looked an awful lot like Ash Tyler. When when yes, Mud I, says, I, I "Oh, that guy's out Ash. to lunch." Yeah, I mean, I thought it was him. It did look like him. I have to go back and look how, see how similar they look. Like I just, I vaguely remember it being like a dark haired man and then getting stomped in the face. But, you know, I'll do that when the season's over and I go binge the whole thing again before I cancel. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, can, can we talk about something positive then? How, how much, yes. how, how much <laughs> do I love? And I, and I'm sure many other people would agree. How much do we love the Saru and Tilly scenes this episode yeah. and last? I, I want them to have like a cop buddy show where they travel around in a spore ship and like solve crimes and have <laughs> shenanigans together. Well, well to me, well, well, my, my problem, though, is that they were they were trying to um, help Stamets. It seemed like they still should have had a medical doctor there, too. Didn't It seems like he really needed a doctor. So and, and all they had was Saru and Tilly trying to help him. It, it just seemed to me like 
like he really needed medical help. He was in a coma. They didn't know what was going on with his, with his body and his mind. I think it was kind of beyond traditional, you know, well, traditional in, in the Starfleet sense, medical uh, capabilities. And I think that, you know, the last episode showed us that Tilly had a radical idea on how, you know, he could be brought back or what could help him. And I think, I, I don't know if traditional doctors uh, is, would have come up with that that plan to help him because right? he, he obviously needed the spores. Uh, he needed spore therapy uh, to, to come back. And I think we saw that at the end of this episode. And I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit more about that. But I, I, I do see where you're coming from, though, uh, Kathy, that um, you, know, you would think you'd want a, mo- a doctor that would actually monitor you know, his vitals at least. Yes. Yeah. Because we'd seen that yeah. earlier, right? We'd seen that earlier with Culber there while he was uh, doing those th- th- that enormous amount of jumps. Like you needed a, a, a doctor there to monitor his vitals to keep make sure yeah. he was not slipping away, right? I feel like they were relying on their technology because, you know, at, at this point he's not doing jumps. He's not doing, you know, crazy critical stuff like that. So I think they were just relying on the, the iPad, <laughs> their, their technology there, and then – the rest was still involved in the, the whole spore, like you said, the spore therapy um, and getting him there. I mean, frankly, like I feel like I could have used a lot more coherent science in this episode Yeah. for as much as they attempted to explain. Like we're already kind of pushing the boundaries of, of a Klingon being turned into a human being. Um and as I know, and I say almost every week, like it's science fiction, like it's sci-fi y'all. Right. But, but, um, but yeah, yeah. We've seen it with Arne Darvin. I mean, we, we knew that the precedent has been set already. Yep. So, yep. um, you know, I, we, we suspended our disbelief in the trouble with Tribble. So <laughs> let's keep we suspending did. it now. Um, but this is just this explanation. the way it was presented here. Definitely. We definitely saw like how it happened versus oh, this just happened. Um, and so when you see very graphic visual images of organs being pulled out, it definitely makes you think more about the facts of what's involved in doing all this. Yeah, um, I don't believe in anesthesia. <laughs> Aside aside from that, like even as I mentioned earlier, like how the mycelial network operates and what exactly it is, I mean – the two stamets, they're still in their, you know, their bodies are on the ships. It's their minds that are in the mycelial network. So what part of Culber is in the mycelial network? Because he's dead. So it turns into something almost metaphysical for me versus scientific. And my understanding from, I think it was After Trek, where they said, go read the, you know, the actual mycologist Paul Stamets's book about this. Um, that will make he, more sense. He, he's a he's an absolute trip, by the way, Heather. Um, I think I put up on Twitter that uh, he did a, a three hour interview. I think it was on the Joe Rogan podcast. And the, the guy is just really interesting. And, you know, whether you like Joe Rogan or not, it's OK. But it's for a Star Trek fan or a Star Trek Discovery fan. It's definitely worth listening to that podcast because the actual Paul Stamets is quite an interesting character. And it's definitely worth getting a, a sense of, of what he's like uh, to realize yeah. what the writers are thinking 
as you as you experience sort of the mycelial network through the show. But you, you know what was going through my head as I was watching Culber was I, I just I, I hope that he doesn't become like a head Culber like the you know and I, and I hate to mix up my fandoms but like the the head number six from the from the yes. Rondi Moore Battlestar Galactica. That's where I was I, going with it too. Yeah. Yeah. I, Okay, Jeff, we're on the same wavelength, man. Mm-hmm. You're, you're t- are we mind melded here? No, because we might be. I, I, I just don't want him to be showing up and talking to to Stamets like in his head. You know, I want him to be real. So um, yeah. I thought that was quite something. I, I don't think he's going to be real again. But well, I, I still haven't be. seen Mirror Culber. <laughs> that that is true think- too. Yeah, but but I think it but like this was in the mycelial network, so maybe Culber is only going to appear there. And yeah. what, what I kind of had in my mind is that maybe he was really just um, what, what Stamets, the, the prime universe, we'll call it, uh, the prime Stamets was imagining Culber being there because it, he, he wanted his lever to be back and this was just a way to talk to, talk to him because Culber revealed like, you know, things like how, to, like he knew how to, how to get out of it. He said, just open your eyes and you'll be out. And I don't know, like, how could Culver know that, or how could anybody know that? But it must be to me, like, once yeah, you're in the yeah. network, you know. I mean, and maybe, like, I, I don't think this isn't the last we've seen of Culver. I think, <laughs> um, I think we'll see more, maybe a little bit more of him. I hope. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like for what we saw, there, there wasn't enough there to really answer what was going on. Well, I had a really off the wall theory. Maybe I'm going to sound crazy by saying this, but I know they had mentioned uh, on the prior episode that the, the the mycelial network bridged life and death, and it was the only um, the only life form that that could bridge those two things. Maybe that's like the afterlife. Maybe that's where you wind up. You know, when when you when you pass away, maybe you wind up in the mycelial network. Um, <sighs> Well, that is what Evil Stamets said at the beginning. Like, you know, well, there is a God, and she's mad at you or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe he was really speaking the truth. Yeah. I just there feel was like a, that's uh, not something that we'd see. I don't know. I don't know. Go ahead, John. Uh, I was just going to say one of the weird things that just popped up in my head, and this might be because of my own uh, kooky sort of way of making connections. But uh, when he kept saying, open your eyes, I kept being reminded of a of a, of a relatively famous uh, Spanish language film called Abre los Ojos, which was uh, remade into a Tom Cruise film called Vanilla Sky. Uh, and that was mm-hmm. one of the key lines in the whole movie was open your eyes. And I was just wondering yep. if that was some sort of weird tip of the hat <laughs> or, or some weird Easter egg. But that might have been my own just weird mental connections going on. I remember that. Yeah. Or maybe that's the solution to people who are between life and death, like Stamets was and Mira Stamets was, they were in that coma and the way to go back to living quote unquote is to open your eyes or to keep them closed. You pass away and stay in the mycelial network. Okay. I, I, I'm just dying here to, to share this guys. I, I just have to get this out and I, I I'm looking for a proper moment, but I just can't stand it anymore. How much do I love evil Giorgio? You deserve a treat. Eat my ganglia. <laughs> well, you know, actually, I think that since we're pretty far into this episode and we need to segue into play a new track, um, Giorgio is someone new. And with her introduction, we've learned some new thing, uh, new things about the mirror universe, at least. So let's go ahead and segue over to play a new track where we explore what we've learned that's new about the Star Trek universe. 
And John, I'll let you finish and then I'll let you talk about what you learned. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So right at the beginning of this episode, I, I said how much I loved uh, the acting in it and I loved the production of it and all the people who put on such a, an amazing show for us. But I, because we had all chewed over this idea that, that was it mirror Lorca? Is he really mirror Lorca? Is it not mirror Lorca? Is he just like a really deranged damaged dude or, you know, what's going on here? And there was so much evidence that it was mirror Lorca. And I saw the evidence and I just didn't want to believe it. Not because of some, uh, personal obstinate idea in my head, but it goes back to something that happened at the at the earliest stages of discovery when they were still talking about it, you know, and we were just seeing like pre-release material. And it, it might have even been at the writers panel at, at an STLV last year. And the writers told us that this show was going to be about how we got from sort of the messy humans of today to this idealized future where humans had evolved to, to, to beyond some of the more baser things of, of human nature. And I thought that was a beautiful story and I wanted to see that story so much. And as I watched the show prior to this episode, I took Lorca to be the starting point for that. And so I really wanted him to be from our universe and really wanted him to be just a messed up dude. And to have Burnham and Cornwell and, you know, all the other characters in the show, Saru, whoever, to say, you know, we've got to be better than this. And we've got to we've got to get ourselves into a place where we're better off than where we are today as people. And so the decision to make him a mirror universe guy takes that away. And it made me very sad. And, you know, I was talking with our friend uh, Jim Warhouse about this on Twitter. And, you know, I said, yep, I agree. There's lots of evidence that it's mirror universe guy, but I just don't want it because I, I think it takes away from the struggle. The second part of this, and I think an even more powerful part of this that I think, in my opinion, is really sad is that pre-discovery, you look at Picard on the Enterprise, you know, and you look at, you know, Kirk, Spock and McCoy and, and you look at all the other Trek that came before and it was very positive about humanity. And anyone who's been involved in Trek fandom or even been around Star Trek fans, you know, not fandom writ large, there's always this question on what is Star Trek, right? And if you just look at like the original series, it's Star Trek is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy flying around on the ship, exploring the universe. Well, then we had the animated series. It was more of that. Then you have the movies. It's more of that. Then we have Next Generation, and it's Picard and Riker and Troy and Data, and they're out exploring the universe. So it's about exploration and humanity being better. Great. Well, then we have Deep Space Nine. They're not exploring anything. They're on a space station. And it's a great show for many other reasons, but they're not exploring. They're, they're having a different kind of experience. So what is Star Trek, right? And so I, as a fan, always explained it to people that Star Trek is about believing that the future is going to be better than today and that you have to be a long run optimist about the future, not in the short run. You can be a pessimist in the short run, but you have to be a long-term optimist. And so I took this whole Lorca thing prior to the reveal on the show to say, this is us struggling, right? To get better. And now, well, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, you wouldn't have that if it wasn't for some mirror universe dude coming in here and sorting out the Federation and winning the war against the Klingons. Because otherwise we would be either, you know, deceased if the Klingons had their way or, you know, fought back to our home planet or, you know, whatever the Klingons' war aims were. We don't actually know that. But 
if we're going to hang, well, Kirk, uh, Spock and McCoy or Picard and Data and, and Riker, you wouldn't have any of that if it wasn't for Mirror Universe Lorca coming over here and winning the war for us. That mm-hmm. diminishes all other Star Trek to say it wasn't you. It wasn't the humans of this universe that sorted it out. We needed this other guy to go win a war for us so that we could, you know, sip Earl Grey tea and, and look at, you know, classical models playing the harpsichord like Riker did in his quarters. I, I realize I'm going on a harangue here, guys. I've talked way too long about this, but I, I to it's me- It's a very astute observation. It, yes. it really took away something from the very premise of Star Trek. But you know what? I think, John, and and, and not to- not to, to to diminish your comments, but I think if you really look at the situation, I think Stamets is the guy that won the war. Not necessarily Lorca. Anybody could have captained the Discovery with the power that that ship had because of the spore drive and won that war. I don't necessarily think it's completely credited to Mirror Lorca uh, being the captain of that ship. You know, I see where you're going with that, but I think dig a little bit deeper and maybe attribute some of the credit to the guy who invented the sport and drove it. Uh, without Stamets, none of that would have ever happened, right? Lorca would not have succeeded if it was not for Stamets and what he did, what he built, and becoming the pilot of the sport drive. My observation is that, I mean, you know, you know, you are right about Lorca. He does seem to be doing a great deal. And, and Stamets, but, but, you know, to me, the show is, is mostly about Michael Burnham and her journey into discovering who she is because she's, you know, a Starfleet criminal. So, so this is about her journey. And I think she, in some way, she will be the one, you know, when she redeems herself, she will redeem humanity in whatever way that happens. But I kind of see it as her. She's the one leading the hope to the future. Yeah, and great point too to tie uh, to tie Burnham into that that whole thing. It wasn't for Burnham discovering uh, the tardigrades' abilities and lending that into Stamets figuring out how to uh, use the mycelial network himself. Again, Discovery wouldn't have been able to become you know the Holy Grail ship that won the war, right? But then I, I even bring it back and it's like, I mean, everybody on the ship, all of our characters are contributing in some way to this happening. Um, it, it's a great these, ensemble cast. Yeah, yes. all of these misfit people um, are coming together in their own way to make, just to fit all of the puzzle pieces together and eventually get them home. I mean, that I don't know. I assume they're going to be back in the Prime Universe in three episodes, but I don't know for sure. Um, but I, I just tend to see a lot, a broader spectrum of, of teamwork happening over the course of discovery, um, where everyone lends their hand in, in the success. I, I get you, Heather. And, and I'm just thinking back to that scene where, uh, Burnham is not Burnham, but, uh, Lorca is talking to the admirals back on Starfleet. I think it was choose your pain. And he's talking about how, you know, he sent the ship to blow up the Klingons at this place and, you know, took out the Klingon supply lines here and there. And, you know, maybe it's because I just was thinking of too much of history and I'm thinking of, you know, there's the Oppenheimers who are out there inventing the stuff, but there's Mm -hmm. Trumans who are out there willing to say, go ahead and do it. And I I just wanted so very much, and I I realize this is my own failing here, but I, I just wanted so very much for it to be our victory uh, in our universe to say that we get there on our own and we 
figure out how to be better than how we are. And to me, that's the very essential beating heart of Star Trek Mm -hmm. is that we have the opportunity to be awesome and excellent and the very best of what can be. And I I just didn't want to hang any of that on the hat of some bad dude from some other universe coming in and sorting out our problems, even being a a contributing factor, you know, so let me, let me lessen it a little bit, you know, even being a contributing factor, because he is the fulcrum on what goes on in the discovery and pushing the crew. And you see that the way he talks to Stamets, you know, like, you know, Mr. Reese, can I trouble you to fire at something? You know, he's he's really pushing them. And I, I, I just, I, that to me was the big downside of this episode, which I loved for many other reasons, but I just wanted it to be our victory are in this universe victory. So I, I know it's a downer. We still have a few episodes. Uh, but that's left. all I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's, that's where I'm at. Like we still have time. And frankly, whether or not we we end this season with Captain Lorca alive or dead is another question that's looming for me. I mean I I would like to believe that we're gonna have Lorca still involved in some way. I, I don't know. Um, because I like the character, frankly. I like Jason Isaacs. I think he's done an amazing job with this character. But um, he's a big-name actor. And because of that, I wondered, even before we saw the first episode of Discovery, how long Jason Isaacs was going to be an actor on this show. So... I think there's plenty of potential for him to take an exit and for the rest of the cast, which as we know in, in the next episode, this is no longer Lorca's discovery. Um, this is Saru's discovery. I think at that point, um, they're going to take back the ship and, and, and determine its future. And I assume get Burnham back. And I mean, who knows, but I think that there's still opportunity um, to have that kind of redeeming storyline, because I agree that is that is essentially what Star Trek is. I can't see it ending other way, any other way. Like I can't see Lorca, evil Lorca, being a key player in what redeems the discovery and these people, unless he somehow turns out to be redeemable in and of himself. Well, I think there's another bigger question too. That is, I don't know if we'll get an answer to this or not, but where is or what happened to Prime Universe Lorca? I think he died. I think he died with the beer brand. Um, but the, the mirror again. universe Lorca could have killed him. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but that is another unanswered question. Yes. I'd love to know the answer to that question. Same with Mirror Burnham. Like, did, did, did Mirror Lorca kill her? Is she out there? So, like, we just don't know. We don't have those answers. And I'm hoping they I get assume, answers. Yeah, I assume they will. They will. Uh, they will wrap those loose ends up. Um, but um, I, I, I'm wondering, John, was there anything else that you felt you learned from this episode about Star Trek Universe? Uh, well, one thing I, I did previously talk about is the fact that that there was this apparent love interest between Mira Lorca and and, and Mira. Uh, Michael Burnham, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. Um, but the other thing, uh, totally separately, really, is that there was an interesting duality in the writing and uh, in that in the original Prime Universe, Giorgio gets eaten. In this mirror universe, she's <laughs> eating 
Kelpians. And I, 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 I was like, I, there must be some sort of weird, you know, mirror track thing going on here that I can't figure out. But uh, I feel like they were trying to tell us something there about that. Uh, and I, I just kept thinking, man, they're really putting this in there to, to, to really demonstrate the depravity of these people yeah. uh, in some way. And did Burnham actually pick the Kelpie and the clicked because it reminded her of Saru? That's oh my gosh. Bad true. call, sister. Bad call. Well, to be fair, Burnham didn't know why she was picking the Kelpie and right. Yeah. Like she could have been, it could have been like, which will you spare? She didn't know. Um, and to clarify, because I've seen confusion, that was not Mir Saru that was eaten. He did look a lot like Saru, but it wasn't Saru. Um, he's way too short and not lanky enough to be Doug Jones. So my thought was she picked the one that clicked and kind of gave her a pleading look. And whether or not her response was... She thought she was going, you know, potentially saving it or she picked the one that was pleading to, you know, to put to death or to eat because that's what she would do is to pick the one that, you know, tried to be. Yeah. I, thought, I thought she was picking the like her new slave, you know, mm-hmm. there was a Kelpian that was her slave. And I thought she was being offered a new slave because because she brought, you know, the prize Lorca to the emperor. Yeah. It really wasn't, it wasn't clear, of course. And we didn't know until we also find out that she's eating it. And I just thought it was kind of funny that, you know, Mira Burnham supposedly grew up eating Kelpians. And our Burnham is obviously, as we would be disgusted by eating a Kelpian. And the faces that she made were just so obviously, you know, disgusted. And I'm going to puke. And... Giorgio was just like, oh, yeah, you know, eat this. Um, wasn't thrown off by that, but eventually I, figured out the... Heather, I, I suspect that uh, Prime Universe Burnham grew up as a vegetarian because she was raised by Vulcans. Yeah. And that I, would be, Yeah, she was more repulsed, yes. I'm trying to think if we've seen her, like, eat any meat. Yeah, I mean, anywhere. we don't we don't really know. Um, that. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a it's, thought. But We can speculate and assume... Um, well, I, I do want to take one quick moment since we mentioned this whole Lorca Burnham lovers thing, because I don't want to lose that in the conversation. Um, so I just, I just, for me, I totally could do without the thought of them ever being lovers. I would have been, it would have felt less uncomfortable for me had it been one or the other. Um, but again, as someone who has been in a position where, um, not a father figure, but a teacher, you know, someone that has a similar type of role as a guardian, protector, nurturer, um, to have a relationship like that for me, turn around and be a predatory relationship. And we don't, we assume this is not anything predatory, but just having that, link of going from a father figure to a lover makes me incredibly uncomfortable. I, um, I, I disagree with what you just said, Heather, in this way, um, is that, you know, was it intentional the, the writers put that word groomed in there? And that word has a lot of connotations, which, you know, to sum it all up in a very, um, inelegant way, creepy. Yeah. Like he was groomed for to be his lover that it, it could have been in that sense. Right. That's still, I'm saying as a sexual assault survivor, 
from someone who is supposed to be not a father figure, but still a mentor, teacher, nurturer, it makes me incredibly comfortable to even think about that happening in Star Trek. Right. I, I do so, think okay. it was, yes, it, if it happened, it was a very inappropriate relationship. And that could have been another way to show how depraved these mirror universe people are. Because we would For think sure. like it wouldn't happen in the prime universe because we're all good people. So it happened over there because they are the kind of people who could do those kind of things. And eat their slaves. Um, that, that's what I'm going for, Kathy. You, you got I it. Thank get you. It. Yes. I get it. I'm just trying to provide a perspective from someone that has been in this certain situation. And I get it. And I get why they're doing it. I'm just saying that it's – I would have gotten – like I don't really need that example of depravity. Like it would have been fine for me to understand that he was a father figure to her and – being that father figure and knowing that she was still, or, you know, and co-conspirator even like they don't need to be lovers for that to, to be his motivation to get her back on the ship, especially since she is like the key to everything. Um, for me, I'm just saying for me, I did not need that extra addition, whether it added to any deprot, like I get that they're disgusting people or whatever. Like I don't need that. Um, Jeff, did you want to say anything about it? No, I think you guys covered it pretty well. Okay. I, I, it was one of those moments where it's like, uh, okay, kind of thing. Like I didn't need that to happen. It's kind of like what you were saying. I, it feels like something they added in. It didn't really have much of a purpose or a meaning. They just kind of added it just to add it. I don't know. It felt superfluous. Well, I'm not sure what we're going to get out of it because our Burnham is not going to go... I mean, she doesn't have that relationship with him. No, but I think maybe it, it, it if they're going to use it for something, it may be you know, one of the things that I had seen, I, the, the very little that I let myself see on social media. One of the theories was that um, he would want to install her as emperor once Georgiou was killed. So that could be an interesting way to play that scenario out. Who knows? All right. Well. Kathy, what did you learn new about the Star Trek? Universe? Ah, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, um, so, so a very obvious thing they mentioned in the mirror universe, um, they are sensitive to light more than we are in the prime universe. Mm -hmm. And this is something like that. This has never been revealed in all the other times that we visited the mirror universe on all the other Trek shows. So I thought it was really odd that they would say it here. Well, how did you feel? Because I kind of like, I like that it was a part of Lorca. I, I didn't need it to be all of them had the same sensitivity. Right. I mean, maybe it's just the more powerful ones. They've been shielded from light for some reason. Maybe they'll reveal it later. Yeah. Um, Plus you have a glowing yeah. orb. Like you have a little tiny sun as a part of your ship. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I don't know, but the the Charon is that ship is ever. You know what? When I think of that ship, I think of the USS Vengeance in um, Into Darkness. Like when I saw the Vengeance, I was like, "Wow!" I mean, it's not like 
it doesn't look anything like the the Charon, but just the size of it, and then it was all black. Like it was an intimidating ship. This is like the Titanic of Starfleet ships to me. Um, Add props this, to the designers for that. Yeah, with a crazy sun on it. Um, impressive to say the least. But I'm like, if y'all are light sensitive, why would you have a tiny sun on your ship? It, it doesn't make sense, right? It must be. Like, like, so the empress, the emperor is just never going to go there where, where that, where they have that little, <laughs> the bright light, or, or she's going to wear sunglasses. Who knows? Yeah. It felt like, well, here's just some, here's something to help you know that this all clicked together at the end. Like this is, this is another egg for you with Lorca. Um, I don't know. That was kind of a tough one. Um, yeah, anything else? Yeah. Um, the other thing, well, okay, so Lorca had that triangular-shaped um, yeah. agonizer scar, which Admiral Cornwell saw. Mm-hmm. And so now we know that that was from, it was the agonizer from the Mirror Universe. That was just an interesting little tidbit they threw in. Yeah, I was surprised some people, like, I would never, I never probably would have gotten that on my own. Like I, I definitely picked out that it was a specific shape, but I may not have been keen enough to figure out exactly what it was. So I remember like when we saw that scar on him, people were like, yep, that's that agonizer. And by golly, it must be true. So, but I suppose then before he even came to the universe now, like they had already had him in the agonizer before. They had had him in the in the agonizer booth, and and probably the uh, the handheld agonizer as well because they probably yeah. still carry that on them. Oh man! Mm-hmm. Well, um, so I think I think we've already got mine. Like my stuff was pretty simple. Like we they eat kelpians, and um, the same thing with the light sensitivity. So Jeff, did you pick out anything that we haven't already mentioned? Yeah, I got I Woo-hoo! got. Two things specifically. Uh, one thing that stood out to me immediately is that Lorca's weapons research makes a hell of a lot more sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> so why is he hoarding all of these extremely powerful weapons in his arsenal to take the emperor out? He was one guy. How is he going to make that happen? So he needs some extremely powerful tech. And what what would it have been like if he was able to unleash the tardigrade? on uh, the Imperial City, right? I mean, that thing could have taken out pretty much everybody. Um, convenient that it wound up being the uh, the brains for the, the spore drive, which made it less desirable as a weapon and more desirable as a way for him to get back to the mirror universe, right? Pretty interesting thoughts uh, for me there that um, all those incredibly cool weapons could have been used to, to, to fight his way up to the Emperor and take her out. And I, I guess one other thing was the it was kind of almost a throwaway comment, but the fact that the the mirror Stamets has that um, that scar on his arm, and he says that you know the longer you're in the mycerial network, the more it kind of takes you over. It felt kind of like a throwaway comment, but maybe that could be something that is a little bit more important that comes back around in another episode. Um, it, they didn't give it much due. It kind of just got kind of brushed aside, but it's an interesting thought that the longer you stay in that network, um, the more it it corrupts you, and it's corruptible. Of course, as we've seen, uh, the mirror, the, the mycelial network itself uh, can be corrupted and destroy all of the universes it's connected to. So, 
could yeah. be a lot well, there. That's what I'm understanding is that as we as we know from Culber, um, whatever Mayor Stamets did, he infected the mycelial network, and so that is also in quotation marks infecting whatever aspect of him is there because again it's not his physical body that's mm-hmm. there so what is actually being affected they called it the armillaria astoye i think is what it was called and they actually googled it and it's just a mushroom mm. so it's not even i mean i think technically it's a, a plant pathogenic fungus but it's just it's a mushroom so what's what's happening is that whatever he did however he damaged and infected the mycelial network, it's just starting to affect his, his whatever aspect of him that is there. And that, I think, is foreshadowing, um, you know, what could potentially be what makes this ship and this story uh, past tense that we've never heard of, um, because <laughs> it looks like eventually the entire mycelial network um potentially it could just completely be destroyed and you know we've already got the whole the spore garden on the discovery is is dead which i found kind of strange because like just because your gardener's sick doesn't mean you don't send anyone to tend the plants like i feel like they would have noticed I felt like there was there was some other reason that they died i mean like maybe someone did go in there and try to maintain them but but they still you know something else was killing them it it was not for lack of gardening is what i thought well for sure it it had to be whatever's infecting the the mycelial network why am i having trouble all of a sudden but we know that the the mycelial network is already infected this stuff is happening i don't know if this is connected directly like did this happen instantaneously did this happen over time? Because again, if it happened over time, I feel like that should have been part of the story. Even because, you know, Tilly is treating stamets with spores. They get the spores from the spore garden, as I'm calling it. So there would have had to be ongoing maintenance and they would have noticed if the garden started to die. So I just found that whole part a little strange. Um, again, lack of sciencing here. I didn't know if it was some instantaneous thing or what exactly was going on. And I'm sure that we'll get more of it um, in these next few episodes. But um, I did catch that Jeff and I did Google what the the specific terms were thinking that I would find out a little bit more than it was just mushrooms. But one one thing I, I I'm not sure how I, why I believe this, but I just got the feeling watching the Anthony raps acting that uh, Mirror Stamets was absolutely lying to Prime Universe Stamets about what was going on there. That that, that oh, was yeah. not the truth. There there was I, something else that was happening that we don't know what it is yet. And we know this because Culver told our Stamets, like, no, he's the one that used the network for his for his own reasons, and he's the one that just you know infected it or damaged it, whatever. So I also don't really believe Mirror Stamets at all. That could be. That could be why, you know, Mira Stamets kept telling our Stamets, uh, you know, you need to, we need to find engineering or something. But he was, but you know, our Stamets wanted. He saw an image of Culber and he wanted to go find him. Mm-hmm. But Mira Stamets said, like basically, no, don't worry about him. We got to go do this. I mean, so maybe it's like maybe he knew that Culber, 
would was going to tell him the truth or something, even I though for sure. Yeah, I don't know how, but somehow it seems connected. I think that this is how they're trying to kind of redeem this whole Culber storyline um, with the backlash that they received killing him off and, you know, immediate response of, no, no, he's not dead. You're going to see more of him. So this is how we're seeing more of him. And I mean, I'll be very honest, like, as you said, Jeff, the scenes between the two of them were wonderful. Like they are, such a beautiful loving couple and the chemistry between Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz is phenomenal um, just to begin with. So I love seeing them together, but I don't, I don't really understand the role that Colbert is going to play in this episode. I felt like Colbert was Stamets' tether. Like remember when Mm -hmm. Ash told Burnham, like she was his tether. Yeah, and I feel like like Culber was Stamets's tether to our universe, and he is what was pulled him back because he was fascinated talking to Mir Stamets, and he was like, "Whoa, what's uh, what's going on?" And let's do let's do our work and blah blah. But no, like we've got to get you back so that you can fix this. Like you've you've got to you've got to heal the network, and you've got to get Discovery back home eventually. So I feel like that's what Colbert did. And I assume we're going to see more of Colbert before the end of this season. Again, I'm not quite sure. So, I mean, like, I really, I, I love the scenes that they had together. It doesn't make up for the fact that Colbert's dead for, <laughs> to me, like, he's dead. Like, I don't know that he is coming back in any kind of physical form at the end of this. And from my understanding from After Trek, there is no mere Colbert. Like they explored that option and they did not do that. So I don't think we're going to see Mayor Culber. I, I just want to point out that I just thought it was just an incredibly fantastic moment when uh, Stamus tells the computer, play Cassilian opera, the one that I hate and the hate one that he, that he loves. And the computer immediately knew which one it was. And I was thinking, yes. man, that's the tech I want in my life. <laughs> I, I kind of thought it was because it would, part of it was Stamets's own mind that was running it a little bit. I think that's why. And, and that may also be why he saw Colbert. But I, I think mean, you get that like, that Stamets, Stamets' subconscious was running it a little bit. Yes, and like so, I know that physically, when when human beings start to die and we are deprived of oxygen, we hallucinate. So this is why this is a scientific explanation for why we see people that we love when we are dying. I could take that and try to put that into this, but from what I understand of what's been said about Culber via the producers and the actors and everyone else, like they, they want us to believe that Culber is there. And I mean, maybe this is just a message I'm getting from them where they're just reassuring us so much that, no, he's not really gone. This is this is him existing in this universe, and it's not just something that's in Stamets's mind. I I don't know, but even then, like I'm still, it's just it's a tough subject to begin with. But if it's just a figment of his imagination, like that's even harder for me to deal with. And but you may very well be right, Kathy. I mean, I don't know, and I don't know if we're gonna get an explanation. <laughs> It's tough. Like, we just don't know. 
But I mean, I think that's a, a valid explanation too. I was reminded, and again, this is like the weird connections that I make, but I was wondering, it, it, it vaguely reminded me of like the legends of Orpheus and Eurydice, where he has to go into the, Orpheus loses his love Eurydice, and he has to go into the underworld to get her out. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like one of the oldest things that's around, and I, I just kept thinking like, is that what they were going for with this? Like he has to go into the mycelial network to get Culber out yeah. so that they can be together? Because I, I just I just don't want... Culber to be like a, an imaginary figure inside right, Stamets' yeah, head talking to him. I want it to be real. It's, and I, yeah. I hope they do that. It reminds me a lot of a movie Jeff and I like called What Dreams May Come, which yes, is a similar, I mean, similar. it's basically that story. Um, and, you know, frankly, like if they use that to go in and then somehow extract Culber and Culber is back with us in physical form, okay. Like, I will be much happier having his physical body in person back than this whole subject of, you know, I just, I don't want to rehash it again. But um, I would like that a lot better than just this character is gone, especially even aside from him being a gay character and this being the first legitimately gay couple in Star Trek just the fact that they are just such a beautiful couple. <laughs> and we don't, as my friend Terry Linda said, we don't get like healthy relationships on Star Trek. Um, we don't get these just really beautiful, loving marriages, um, like, like their relationship and their relationship is unique. Like they're both different people. I mean, and I've, I've heard, uh, you know, other podcasters fans saying that they don't believe their chemistry or their personalities are so different. They don't believe that they could be a couple. Whereas I think it's their, I love the fact that they're different, but they complement each other um, in such a beautiful way. And that's what makes their partnership work. So I don't want to see them. I don't want to see them be gone. And I don't, I don't want the finality of it to be that Culver is actually dead because that just makes it the worst, the worst. I think it's kind of a fallacy, but and I don't want to divert too much into, you know, analysis of human behavior, but I, I think it's a fallacy that two people who have a, a healthy, loving relationship have to be very similar people. Yeah. You know, I think we all have parts of us that we lack and finding someone who has those parts can be very healthy and uh, can be uh, some of the best relationships we've ever had in our lives. So I, I think that argument feels a little bit disingenuous to me that they're not similar enough or their personalities are too different to be believable. Cause I yeah, I think that, that I don't, and I mean, I don't know. I, I don't definitely don't feel that way about them. I, it could just be people that don't like discovery or yeah, it could, looking for I mean, excuses, whatever, yeah. whatever, but there's still there's just there's still a lot of questions to be answered in three episodes, assuming that we get them answered in three episodes. So, um, Jeff, was that everything? Did you have anything else? Yeah, I think we just covered the other thing that I was going to bring up because we just talked about Stamets and Culver and Mirror Stamets. So I think I'm good. All right. Well, we're we're this is a long podcast, guys. So let's go ahead and pop into spin it again let's take a look back at um standout moments characters scenes what really stood out to this in this episode which i'm sure we've all already mentioned at some point um but kathy what what stood out to you what do you think deserves a little extra attention 
Um, I just think that it, it was a very memorable scene. Um, Burnham re revealing that, that she's from another universe, and then Giorgio got out the little the blade that she threw, and it, and it went around and, and killed all her guards. <laughs> I mean, uh, that was a fidget spinner. Yes. Yes. The yes, fidget spinner of death. Yeah. The imperial yeah, fidget spinner of death. Spinner. <laughs> but it, it was just a very memorable scene, and it was like, and it was, I want to say, cutthroat. It was just something that you go, oh, oh, I can't believe she did that. It was so that, that was my most memorable moment. <laughs> and that actually, I was going to pick out the same, the same one. Um, See, yes, wasn't it great? It was. I don't want to say great, but. Well, it, so okay, um, it's definitely not something we're ever used to seeing in Star Trek universe. Um, given that it wasn't like exceedingly graphic what they showed, but at the same time, I mean, that was some savagery that was unexpected. I've, we've never seen any, anything like that that I'm aware of. On Star very, Trek. Yes, very shocking. You just didn't expect it. It was definitely shocking. And John mentions the fidget spinner. And I just want to clarify for everyone. That is a fact. Um, that little weapon evolved from the fidget spinner in the, the, we learned this in after Trek from the writer of this episode, um, Jordan Nardino. And I think he was sitting around with Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg. And there was a fidget spinner laying around and they're like, well, what if we just like threw this around the room? And that's how it evolved. So like it really did come from a fidget spinner, but please be advised everyone. That's not what fidget spinners are for. Nor can don't you, try this at home. Yeah, don't try this at home, nor can you actually do that with a fidget spinner. But between that and then the uh, Lorca's guy, Lorca's previous uh, crewman getting blown up, this was a kind of a, a violent, <laughs> a violent and graphic episode for those two scenes. Was there anything else um, that stood out to you, Kathy? Another thing was just was when Laurel. Was it was you know Saru was talking to Laurel trying to get her to help Ash, and she refused, and so so Saru just beamed him into the cell with her. Mm -hmm. I mean that was just something. I thought it was a great move by Saru. Like no 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 you know I care about this man, and I'm going to force you to help him. You're the only one who can help him. You have to do this. You can't say no. So that was what I liked about that. I thought it was just. A wonderful scene, and it showed how much Saru really cares about people. And they got her, got it to work. Like that's what it took to get yes. her to help him. He um, had to force her to, but he did. Yeah, I really wasn't expecting that to happen. I, nor was I expecting her to not want to help Voke. I mean, she was just like, "Nit." He made his decision. Didn't work out. Super cold. Yeah, very Klingon though. Yeah. Absolutely. So, John, what about you? What what uh, stood out to you from this episode? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I have a couple minor sort of idiotic things I noticed, and, and then maybe I'll work up to some of the more substantial things. But uh, and, and this, again, might be my own weird brain making connections. But I noticed that in this episode, when they're putting Lorca into the agonizer, they say only the finest agonizer and they said the exact same line i think in the previous episode on the shenzhou 
And so I'm thinking to myself, is there some Terran agonizer booth manufacturer that, you know, uses that, <laughs> you know, like we make only the finest agonizers. I, I don't know. It's just, it's something I just noticed, but I was wondering why they reuse that line. I just, I just thought it was uh, interesting. But the other thing that really stood out was my goodness, Anthony Rapp acting with yourself is so hard. <laughs> And I know it just wasn't him because he had to have a lot of help and they had to redo a bunch of scenes, you know, I'm sure to, to get both both sides of it. But that cannot be easy. But just listening to him acting with his mirror self, he did so well uh, in that. So I, I thought that the that the actor just did such a such an amazing job with it. And I think he really deserves some some credit for that. Yeah, it was interesting on after Trek, um, he was actually on this last episode and he talked about filming that and that there, there was a stand in, um, when he would do those scenes, but then he would hop back and forth. And the same is true of Ash and Boak fighting together. Um, that again, that was, that was, you know, Shazad Latif playing both roles and then they would have the stand-in come and film, like, with the fighting. But aside from that, like, he was both characters. He was doing the, all that fighting um, with the the amount that we see the stand-in is very minimal. So I thought it was interesting that they're using that technique all the way across. Yep. And I have to admit, one thing that sort of caught me short, and it, it's not a major issue, but... I didn't really understand how the episode actually got started and I'm still trying to figure it out because at the end of the previous episode, the emperor's ship was right there at the planet and now it's all of a sudden far away and they have to get in a shuttle and go to it. I, I just didn't understand logistically what was happening. So I, th I thought maybe I'd missed something. So that I, I don't know what was going on there. Maybe something got cut. Maybe something wasn't explained properly, or it also could be that I'm just, I just missed something, but it, it stood out to me. And I, I still haven't figured out exactly logistically what was happening between the last episode and the next, because they mm -hmm. seem to be contiguous. And I didn't understand where the emperor's ship went in the meantime. Um, minor issue, but, but it, it stood out to me. Uh, the, the major things though, to me, the big things, and these were all relatively minor, but was that I think we now know that that Laurel truly, in her own weird Klingon way, did love Voke. Um, I didn't know if she was playing him for her house's advantage or if she was playing some long game with him, but I, I, I feel like we have enough to say that she actually really did care for the guy and wasn't just playing him. At least that's how I feel at this point. And I, I think that was actually quite nice that we could recognize that, you know, these, these aliens, these others uh, do have these emotions that we can have some access to. And if that's true, I, I think that that's a good thing. And I, I just wanted to acknowledge that I appreciated that in the show. And I, and I thought it was great, even though of course we can agree that, you know, let's having a, having a, a, a genocidal war isn't a good thing, but <laughs> Um, I, I thought it was a good thing for Laurel to actually have some depth of feeling there besides just trying to be a, a, a warrior. Yeah. Let me um, ask you guys really quick before we move on, because I don't think we talked about it in depth. But with what she did to Voke or Ash Tyler, what's your interpretation? Do you guys think that like we're still going to see Ash and Voke both? Do we think that Voke is dead? Do we think that Ash is dead? What do you think happened there? That's a tough question. 
I, I read something online. I, I can't take credit for it. So, you know, pr- proper credit goes to whoever put this online. But someone said, are they setting us up for like a seven of nine thing where, you know, he, he, he knows who he is, but he has all these other memories going on inside his head. And I, I, I don't know, but I just thought it was something interesting I read. Yeah. Well, I think somehow Ash Volk has to somehow be the bridge that ends the the Klingon war and brings the Klingons and the Federation closer to what we know of them uh, in future Star Trek. So there has to be some sort of a bridge there. So whether it's, um, you know, Laurel coming around from her feelings for Voke slash Ash, or it's Ash Voke or Mirror Voke somehow, playing into the situation somehow those characters i think are going to be the bridge between the 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 hostile klingons that we see in discovery and the future klingons that we know so did no one here interpret that as like voke dying i wasn't sure what it meant because i don't laurel has thrown us for so many loops in the past i wasn't really sure if that was her killing voke off or a ploy I guess maybe keep Ash slash Voke from destroying himself because you guys obviously see there was a lot of injuries that he had done to himself. Uh, you know, there was some scratch marks and things. He was, you know, tearing himself apart, essentially. Maybe she realized that, you know, she needed to intervene just to keep him alive to maybe keep her original goal somehow in play. Kathy, what was your interpretation of that? I... I, I would like to think that that Voke or Ash is still alive, but um, I think it was that the Klingon Voke was physically altered to become, you know, to look like Ash Tyler, and the human Ash Tyler is, is probably dead. So we have this, the the Ash now that, that used to be Voke, that has Ash's memories. I, I think he is still alive and that he will continue on the show. At least that's what, that's really just what I hope. I mean, because... Yeah. Yeah, I like him. I want him to continue as a character. And for Laurel, she she might have actually thought he was dead when she did that Klingon death cry, but they still might find a way a way to revive him. Yeah, I mean that's what I think. So he he's still alive and he's still going to stay on the show. I read it like it was kind of strange to me because when she started doing whatever you know her magic. He was talking like Voke, and by the end of it, he's talking like Ash again, and then she does her death cry. Well, we have the montage of Laurel and Voke's happy life, and then she does her death cry. And so I almost thought, like, so did Ash, was this, like, the Ash personality while this was happening was, like, trying to fight its way to the surface, and it won? Um, I just, it was all very confusing to me. So it's interesting getting varied perspectives of what happened because it seems like no one really understands what happened. (laughs) And and when they showed that scene, you know, after her death cry, well, well, you know, that was it for that episode. They didn't show her or Vogue again in that episode. So we won't know until they show them again. (sighs) All right. Oh, sorry. I totally yawned. I'm sorry, guys. I'm tired. Um, John, was there anything else on your list? Because I know yes. I interrupted you there. No, no, no. I, I have one more thing, and it's actually the, the biggest thing. And I, I really want to recognize and acknowledge uh, Wilson Cruz, 
uh, in this episode because, you know, last week or was it the week before now? I can't remember correctly, but um, a lot of people were upset with the character's death. And I got to say, it didn't really affect me all that much because the fact is, in in my viewing of it, Culber wasn't given that much to do uh, as a character. You know, he sort of tech the tech and science the science and meds the meds. You know, and, you know, he played the, you know, spouse haranguing his other spouse about, you know, working too hard and blah, blah, blah. But it was very workaday sort of stuff. Um, this is the first scene in my recollection of it where he actually got to have a scene that was really powerful and had a lot of um, substance to it. And I think that the actor just did a tremendous job. And I just think that Wilson Cruz really nailed it. And uh, I just really appreciated his acting in this. And I, I really felt, um, I really felt something there. And I, I just thought it was just wonderful. And uh, to me, it was really a high point for Culber um, in, in my, in my viewing of, of the whole series so far. Excellent. Here, here. I agree. Um, so Jeff, what about you? One of the bigger things was, um, Part of the dialogue between Georgiou and Burnham made me think about this. There was a moment where Georgiou says to to Burnham, everything will be as it was, dear daughter. And it made me think that the the, the relationship between you know, Mirror Georgiou and Mirror Burnham may have been slightly different than the relationship between Prime Georgiou and Prime Burnham. Uh, in the fact that they had almost a familial relationship. And perhaps that may be more of what Burnham had wanted out of the relationship between the two or what it could have been uh, if if their relationship had continued in the prime universe um, after, if, if she hadn't betrayed, if Burnham hadn't betrayed Georgiou uh, and, and they continued to serve together, maybe it would have evolved into something similar uh, that it, it wasn't the mirror universe. Well, less evil, of course. But I like that the the relationship that they had in the mirror universe was a, a familial bond, uh, more than just a sort of um, you know a, a teacher mentor or a captain mentor. You, you know, Jeff, can I just say one thing on that, which is that uh, it it struck me as I watched the episode that that in uh, the Vulcan Hello and the Battle of Binary Stars that uh, uh, Burnham betrays and mutinies against Giorgio. And I suspect we're going to get the exact same thing mm-hmm. in the mirror universe that she will again yeah. uh, betray and and rebel I against Giorgio. <laughs> so there's a, also, a nice mirror there. Um, and also, I want to add, I, I do like their their relationship they, that they had back in the Prime Universe, and the, and then now what we're coming to in the mirror universe. Um, when when Burnham revealed that that she's from another universe, I, I think she she kind of. She was going on how, how well she knows Giorgio, that, that Giorgio would believe her. And, and of course, she, well, she had the proof, too. But even just saying it, I mean, I just thought that was, that was a good moment, too, showing their, showing their relationship and how well it worked. The fact that they can trust each other. Burnham knew she could trust Giorgio to believe her and not to think that that, that communicator she had was faked. Or the badge, I mean, the badge wasn't faked. I mean... Giorgio believed her because they had that kind of relationship that they trusted each other. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder if, I mean, Emperor Giorgio seems very astute. And I wonder if Burnham's admission that she was from a different universe immediately alerted Giorgio, although silently, to the fact that Lorca may not be what she thought he was. Maybe 
you know, maybe she has a little bit more insight into, you know, what's coming down the pike or uh, perhaps, you know, uh, you know, Lorca's original plan is back in action and she's preparing him, herself for, you know, his eventual assassination attempt. Yeah, I uh, I liked that Giorgio and Burnham, after they got past the whole killing Burnham for treason, um, their relationship was a respectful one. Mm-hmm. Like it, it that kind of continued there. Um, and again, I I wasn't expecting Burnham to tell Giorgio that she was from a different universe. So that was a surprise that I wasn't expecting. And um, there was some good dialogue there. I like to pick out quotes from all these episodes and there, there really wasn't anything super specific that stood out to me in this one. Um, But I did like, when they were talking about the um, qualities of a successful civilization, equality, freedom, and cooperation. Again, there's some Star Trek for you. Um, But I think as far as like real, like real standout things, it would be that. And then again, again, that's the scene between Stamets and Colbert. And I agree with John, like a lot of that goes to Colbert or to Wilson Cruz, um, for what he put into that um that scene but again it's just that i'm just at the end of the day like i'm just very happy with how that relationship um is being presented to us um because that's a relationship i would want to have so um really well done and again i you know, despite this being a short episode, I really didn't think about it at all. I was definitely wasn't ready for it to be done, but I'm never ready for any episode of Star Trek Discovery to be over. So um, I thought the pacing was great. Um, the directing was great. The amount of story that we got, it wasn't as overwhelming as last week's episode. Um, but there was still a lot. We got a lot from a lot of characters and storylines and they had said a while back that, you know, the pay, the pacing of the rest of the season just stays like this. And it's certainly proving to be the case. Um, so uh, I think overall, you know, another another great episode where we learned quite a bit, quite a bit about the mirror universe, but quite a bit about what's going on um, while we're there. And I guess we'll just hang hang on for the ride and see what happens and these next three episodes. Um, but I think I like the fact that they, they called out the episode name in this one. I was going to say that too. I was going to bring that up. I love when they actually say the name of the episode somewhere. And in it's, dialogue. it's actually a connection to Macbeth. So more, more Star Trek and Shakespeare. Um, but uh, Jordan Nardino, the writer pointed that out in after Trek. So next week we have what's past is prologue. Another nice title, and I can only imagine what that is insinuating. Um, so I guess before we wrap up, we'll just do any final thoughts here. So, John, was there anything else about this episode that you wanted to mention? Oh, my goodness. Uh, not I don't think there's anything that we haven't already talked about. Um, just to say that I, I thought it was really well-made, well-produced, uh, uh, beautifully acted, um, and really 
interesting and at a breathless pace, which I think is something that's really quite new for, for Trek in a lot of ways. Um, and I think discovery on the whole is, is bringing a whole pacing to star Trek that we really haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting and I'm, and I'm rather enjoying it. Um, and so, uh, I look to see what, what happens next and enjoying it with, with all the other, uh, incredible fans that are out there. Awesome. Awesome. Kathy, what about you? Anything else to add? Uh, okay, I want to say that the, the thing about Keeley, well, we didn't get to see Captain Keeley for the last two yeah. episodes. <laughs> I mean, that would have been cool to see more of her. But um, other than that, I, I do enjoy it. I have really liked this this Mirror Universe story arc. They are doing it well. They are making the Mirror Universe, you know, important to to our universe, which is which is great, and it's really it's it hasn't been done before on Trek. The mirror universe is usually sort of within its own self, and they have their own agenda that doesn't really have to do with prime universe. Yeah. So this is this is really good the way they're interweaving the stories, the the characters, the uh, the two universes, and um, everything else is great. Like you said, the production values, the acting, and I mean the writing, the storytelling, everything is coming together to make the whole series a wonderful series. Just got to hang in there. <laughs> yes. We just want to know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Answer well, all the questions. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, people that hung around for three episodes, like, no, you got to come back because that's just, you're not going to get the whole shebang in those three episodes. Um, that's what I want to say. Like, some people gave that too soon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> got to keep sure. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, what about you? Any final thoughts? Uh, one quick shout out to the writers of this episode. You know, I love those continuity moments that harken back to uh, prior Star Trek. And I love that Georgiou mentioned interphasic space. Thanks for all of the great continuity stuff that's been thrown in for us Trek fans uh, out there who are uh, nerding out with all that stuff. I mean, I know they have to draw in a new audience and, um, you know, the format of the show uh, is designed to draw in new Trek fans to keep the series vital and profitable. So I appreciate that they're doing stuff to to throw out to us original Trek fans and keep us interested too. It's almost like these writers actually know something about Star Trek. Go figure. I mean, who knew? <laughs> who thought? Who knew? All right, yeah. Props always. We love our writers. Despite the complaints that we may have, I think overall, like, we love what they've done. Um, we love the attention that they're giving the franchise and what they're doing Absolutely. with Discovery. Sure. So I just want to clarify that. I know that there's been some episodes where we've been a little harsh, um, but at the at the end of the day, at least Jeff and I, speaking for Disco Trek, we love Discovery, so um, we're here to support it, and we love everyone involved. So um, I guess that brings us to the end of this two-hour episode of Discovery, <laughs> uh, which may be a little less by the time we edit it. Um, but as always, we go around and tell people how to find us on social media if they would like to continue the conversation. So, Mr. John Krikorian, how can people find you? Hello, hello. Well, you may find me on uh, the Twitter uh, at at JK in LV. 
And you can also find me uh, lurking around and posting occasionally in the unofficial uh, Star Trek Las Vegas group on the Facebook. Uh, but uh, my what my I have two rules about Facebook, which is uh, I don't accept uh, friend requests from anybody I currently work with. And the second thing is I have to have uh, met you in meat space in the real world. So come find me at STLV or, or some other Star Trek uh, event in Las Vegas and uh, I'll add you and we can be friends. Awesome. And Kathy Peck, where can we find you? I am on Facebook. Um, my Facebook name is Kathy Graham Peck, and I'm in the unofficial Las Vegas uh, Facebook group, of course. And I'm on Twitter at hashtag Kathy Graham Peck. So that's where I am. We can find you for sure. And Jeff, what about you? Oh, well, surprise, surprise. I'm also in the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention Facebook group as our the prior two people were. Uh, you can find me there as well. And I am Warp Factor Jeff on Twitter. All right. Well, yes, everybody. The unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas Facebook group. Oh, I said it wrong. Las Vegas Convention Facebook group is, is where you're going to find all of us. It's the way to get on the show. It is it is largely a convention-centric group, but we welcome everybody because above anything, we're about family there, and we want to make our Trek family bigger, and we love talking about Discovery. So come find us. Um, as far as me personally, I'm at LLA Posper on Twitter. Our show is Disco underscore Trek on Twitter. The network is Tricorder Show. Um, and the website is the tricordertransmissions.com. So you can find us if you look hard enough. It's not that difficult. Um, thank you, everyone, for this lovely conversation. And we're excited to come back next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm pretty sure it's going to surprise us. So thanks again, everyone. Live long and prosper, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.